0: The portion of the Gospel of St. Mark you just heard read this morning referred, is often referred to as the Olivet Discourse where Jesus has just come out of the temple with Peter, James, John, and Andrew and has crossed over from the Temple Mount to the Garden of Gethsemane crossing the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley which now is the location of the largest Jewish cemetery in the world. He's crossed over the valley and sits with them looking at the old city and is gathered with them on the Mount of Olives. Theologian and biblical scholar William Barclay described this chapter 13 of Mark's Gospel as quote, one of the most Jewish chapters in the Bible and one of the most difficult chapters in the New Testament for a modern reader to understand. So that's where I was tempted to end my sermon. (laughs) This portion of Chapter 13 follows up and ends with two parables, the parable of the leafing fig tree and the parable of a man on a journey advising his servants to be on watch as he could return at any moment and would want the house well cared for. Well these two parables are very similar in the theme that Mark has recorded here, Jesus saying. The telling of these two parables the first one of the leafing fig tree is interesting a metaphor that Jesus uses as a signal or a symbol or an alert that when the leaves come tender on the fig tree that's the sign of spring. When I was a Kid on, in Pawkatuck on Stillman Avenue, one of our neighbors across the street, his name was Antonio Ledestri. He had a beautiful vegetable garden and a grape arbor behind his house that was between Stillman Avenue and Walnut Street. And he had two precious fig trees that he would plant every spring. And they would, he would plant them and they would blossom. they would produce and then in late fall he would come down and we would help him dig the two graves we used to call them the fig graves and he would dig up the fig trees and lay them in these two little graves and cover them with something most of you probably don't remember linoleum (laughs) he covered them with old linoleum and gently covered the two fig trees covered them over with with soil and smooth the top of the surface. But when those fig trees were planted again in the spring, it was almost like a miracle. It was almost like a resurrection of the tree again. And those, those tender leaves that uh, blossom on the fig tree are always the ones that some of my Greek Orthodox friends use for uh, wrapped uh, fig leaves stuffed with all sorts of wonderful things. And the other parable that he tells, of course, is to be prepared. He, t- uh, the, he uses the, the, imbo- the symbol of the man going away on a journey and reminds his slaves to be at watch because you don't know when I'm going to be coming back. I think that the, the fig tree, uh, the most used expl- explanation, I think, is that there is going to be some cataclysmic event in Judea. Jesus is, is trying to warn them of. Jesus will come and gather his elect. Those are the people, the disciples, who referred to themselves as the elect when they were with Jesus. The fig tree, which Jesus had earlier cursed for, not being, barren, for, for being barren and not producing fruit, was used as a metaphor earlier in Mark chapter 11. And when he said, may no one eat fruit from you again so he jesus had a favorite metaphor with fig trees but i think wait a minute what are we talking about here as we begin this season of expectation and anticipation of the birth of christ why has the church presented us with this particular gospel that is clearly pointing to the time when jesus will return well he hasn't gotten here yet in our lives, in this season of advent. From the very first words, there can be no doubt that there is much at stake in this season, and in the very beginning, we're given a glimpse of its ending, a little strange, you might think, at first, to begin our preparation and anticip- of anticipation of the birth of Jesus by being exhorted to wait for his coming again. All of this talk of the return of Jesus seems out of sequence for us because in the context of the liturgical year, we are now just beginning the season of anticipation of the advent of Christ. Well, I knew the signals when advent was coming. Growing up as a boy, uh, my anticipation of the coming of Christ uh, would be fueled and informed by the arrival in the mail of that two-inch-thick Sears Roebuck catalog. (laughs) I can still see it. About the last hundred pages or so in the catalog of that bulky, glossy-paged treasure trove was a wonderland of toys, toy soldiers, games, bicycles, miniature drum sets, and more. As you can see, the altar guild has festooned the altar and pulpit and lectern with the liturgical color of purple in the midst of this pre-holiday cacophony, this cacophony and the manic countdown of shopping days. We are brought up short in some way to consider the second coming of Christ. It isn't the first time, and it won't be the last, where people make preparation for the coming of Christ. Back in the 19th century, there was a character, uh, I think a charlatan, William Miller, who uh, made a big uh, fuss by announcing that he had calibrated the date that Jesus would return. It was in 1833 or 1843, between March and March, I think. So he announced the second coming of Christ, and he gathered people to him. They can be called the Millerites. He was a very entrepreneurial Baptist minister, and he sold all his followers these expensive resurrection robes, made a a nice prophet, sort of like a 19th century Joel Osteen, who is not one of my favorite people. And they all got dressed up, ready for the arrival of Jesus. He was from eastern New York, and all the influence of his movement washed over into New England. So farmers throughout New England were prepared to receive and be prepared to anticipate the second return of Christ. They climbed up on the roofs of their barns and houses so that they would be the first ones to be called into heaven. The date came. The date went. No Jesus. So he recalibrated. <laughs> sold a few more robes, set a new date. And this time he was pretty sure it's going to happen. Well, now these followers are getting very serious. They some of them actually were told actually killed their elderly parents so that they would be the absolute first ones to be taken back into heaven, standing on the roofs of their barns and houses throughout New England. Well, Believe it or not, that was the beginning of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. And, of course, they don't kill their grandparents anymore. But the return of Christ is what we're being reminded about here now when we're first anticipating Christmas arriving. We know when Christmas comes. We know that Christmas is on December 25th. And we're going to prepare for that, but the church gives us much like, encapsulates the first arrival of Jesus and makes us aware that at some point he will come back after his resurrection and ascension. So what are we to make of this? What are we to do during this Advent season, this countercultural period of time when we're told to set aside time for prayer and silence and meditation? in the midst of shopping days and the number of shopping days left. I remember years ago, the Westerly Sun used to have a little corner on the front page and it would say how many shopping days left until Christmas. And we used to have an advent calendar on the cellar door in the kitchen. And we didn't put one up this year because I didn't want to see all those figures and we always ended up being eight days late we would have to put eight days at the same time. But that's what we get to do. We get to wait. Christmas decorations have been up since October. I remember 23 years ago, I found myself in downtown Bethlehem with about 15 of my colleagues from Connecticut. We had a Palestinian driver and a Jewish tour guide in more peaceful times. And I was absolutely astounded when we arrived in downtown Bethlehem. It was about the first week, about this time of December, and we looked out the window of the bus as we parked in front of the nativity hotel and I couldn't believe it there were inflated plastic Santas on every street light. This is Bethlehem, (laughs) couldn't believe it. And so we see it here too. Uh, I, I counted the days oftentimes in Niantic after Christmas when the Christmas lights stayed up and sometimes they were up until Easter. But this is a particular time for us now. This is the time for us to think about what is it going to be like for the birth of this child in our lives? And how is his nativity going to make a difference in the way we live our lives? How are we going to make room for the Christ child? We begin with this service, and we begin tonight with the traditional festival of lessons and carols at 5 o'clock. So this period of time can be a wonderful time to take a pause, take a deep breath, and keep awake. Amen. Amen.